Hello, thank you for joining LTC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. I'm here today with Rob Leffler, the Vice President of Clinical Services for Synchrony Pharmacy, to talk about substance use disorder, what it is, and how it affects older adults. Welcome, Rob. Thank you so much, Amy. It's always a pleasure to be here and speak to you. It's always a pleasure to have you speak with me. (laughs) There are a lot of terms used when talking about substance use disorder. Can you explain some of them for our listeners? Absolutely. There are so many terms when we talk about substance use disorder. So I'm going to hit several of them. I'll give a brief description or a definition of some of them. So let's start with substance use disorder. You might also see it as SUD. It's a newer term. We used to talk about drug addiction or an addict, and this is the newer, better, more preferred terminology when we're talking about that. It's a problematic pattern of substance use that causes significant impairment or distress. And all sorts of products can be misused. When we talk about substance use disorder, there's also alcohol use disorder or AUD or opioid use disorder or OUD. That's just a couple of examples of substance use disorder and probably our most common subsets of substance use disorder. Opioid use disorder. So we're talking about opioids. Opioids are drugs that bind to opioid receptors in the body and brain, and they work by reducing intensity of pain and our feelings of pain. There are several different types of opioids. Opiates are natural opioids like morphine and codeine. We have semi-synthetic opioids, which are drugs like oxycodone and hydrocodone. We have synthetic opioids. That's drugs like tramadol, the brain name of which is Altram or fentanyl, duragesic, and even illicit opioids. So there's a lot of drugs and chemicals that fall under that opioid use disorder umbrella. Another common term when we're talking about these substance use disorders is tolerance. That's when someone experiences reduced response to a medication that requires them to use more of that substance to produce that same or the desired effect. People can develop dependence. Dependence is when the body adjusts its normal functioning around regular substance abuse. They have unpleasant physical symptoms that will occur when the medication is stopped, and that is called withdrawal. We'll talk about withdrawal in just a minute. Before that, we'll talk about addiction. So that's when there are attempts to either cut down or control the use of a substance and they're not successful, or the use will result in social problems and their failure to fulfill obligations at work, school, home. This will often come after they develop tolerance and dependence. And that makes it difficult to stop the use of the substance and increases the risk of withdrawal. So withdrawal is where you're removing whatever substance is being misused, and that will produce what we call withdrawal symptoms. It typically happens after long-term use 
and when it gets stopped abruptly or is cut back too quickly. We can divide those symptoms into two categories, early and late. So the early symptoms are things like agitation, anxiety, aches in the muscles, poor sleeping, runny nose, sweating, yawning. If it's later symptoms of withdrawal, it's things like abdominal cramping, diarrhea, dilated pupils, goosebumps, and even nausea and vomiting. And we'll just cover one more. I know we've talked a lot about these different terms and definitions, but that's medication-assisted treatment. And you'll also see that referred to as MAT, M-A-T. That's when we use medications in combination with counseling and behavioral therapy to provide a whole patient approach to treat SUD or substance use disorder. MAT is primarily used for opioid use disorders, but we can use it for other substance use disorders as well. The medication is used to help normalize brain chemistry, block the euphoric effects of the abused substance, and help relieve those physiological cravings. Rob, that's a lot of really good information for our listeners. How is SUD diagnosed? So typically we're going to use the DSM to diagnose a variety of conditions. They come out with different versions over time, and they came out with actually a text revision of the DSM-5 this past March of 2022. But anyway, the DSM has opioid use criteria, diagnostic criteria, and they have 11 different criteria in there. And in order to be diagnosed with opioid use disorder, you have to have two of the 11. And they do the same thing for other substance use disorders. Since most of the time we're talking about opioid use disorder, I'll use that as an example. Some of those criteria are large amounts of use, The person is not able to stop using that substance or the opioid in this situation. They have cravings and urges, continued use despite personal relationship problems, giving up their normal activities to use that substance that they're having and the disorder surrounding, uh, knowing that they have a problem but continuing to use that product, increasing the amount of use of the product, the development of withdrawal symptoms when the substance is no longer being used. And so they do the same thing around other disorders like alcohol use disorder. So you can find those 11 criteria in the DSM-5. And again, it's two of the 11 observed over a 12-month period. Thank you for that information. This is the one that has me the most curious, sitting on the edge of my seat, how do you see SUD or OUD affecting older adults? That's a great question, Amy. And it's really interesting because, as you know, with the rules of participation in phase three, they talk a lot about substance use disorder, and they really hadn't talked that much about it previously. And I thought, well, that's an interesting addition. But I think we're seeing it more and more across the entire population, and it's not just a younger person problem anymore. In fact, there was a survey from the National Council on Aging, and they were looking at opioid abuse, and they talked to a variety of organizations about this disorder, and they were community-based member organizations. And over 
two years, seven in 10 organizations reported an increased amount of time that was spent addressing opioid-related issues that affected both older adults and their caregivers. And so because of that increased amount of time that's required for caregivers, both family members, staff members around substance use disorder, opioid use disorder, I think that's really why we're seeing so much more focus on it and how it's affecting our older adults. That additional time was spent on identifying the problem, you know, determining what's going on, referring them to treatment programs, time with individual and group counseling, and partnering with other community groups all rolled into that survey. Like you, I was really surprised to see so much emphasis in the Appendix PP update that was recently released regarding this with older adults. And now that it's been brought to the forefront, I think I'm seeing a lot more people talk about this as a real issue with the older adults. I am too. And that leads me to my next question, my final question today. How can facilities help their residents with recovery? There's a variety of ways that I think that facilities can help those patients. One is getting a good patient history. So talking to them about what may have been occurring in their life prior to coming into the facility. So that might involve adding some questions that would help discover the misuse of drugs or opioids or alcohol in their past. And so part of that is awareness, right? Was there pain treatment in the past that maybe they used more medication than was prescribed? And framing those questions in a non-accusatory manner and a, a safe space so that you can really help provide the entire patient care. Maybe even asking family members for historical information that maybe in the past we really didn't think about asking about. Another way is thinking about treatment adherence. We talked about that medication-assisted treatment, Matt. So making sure patients are getting the drugs that they need to help them stay safe in preventing that substance use disorder or opioid use disorder. Thinking about helping them with coping skills, watching for those signs of relapse, activities. So I think about the collaborative approach a lot in my practice. So are there opportunities for activities to help these patients stay busy? I think about collaborating with dietary and those dietitians out there for nutritional support, thinking about how they can be involved in supporting those patients. And then lastly, I think about support groups. So if you've got patients that have had issues and maybe they need support in being able to attend meetings through organizations like Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, those are three pretty common support groups. If you have enough patients, maybe there's even an opportunity to provide space in your facility for a meeting like that. And there's another one that I came across that I hadn't heard of before, but it's called Smart Recovery, which has a similar setup to some of these other programs where they, there's meetings and more information can be found about them at smartrecovery.org. Rob, that's really good information. And all of those things that you talked about, or many of them at, at least, could be care planned as well for the individual. 
Absolutely. You can't forget that care planning piece, right? Right. Rob, thank you very much for joining me today and sharing this very important information for our listeners. The pleasure is mine, Amy. I really enjoy the opportunity to join you in these conversations and hopefully help benefit our patients and caregivers out there. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse leaders, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC DON Chat Podcast. Heard the news about how you can improve quality care and increase efficiency with Ability? Ability offers a range of applications to simplify the complexity of healthcare, allowing organizations of all types and sizes to spend more time on care and less time manually collecting, analyzing, and reporting data. This allows you to remain in compliance while making data-driven decisions that benefit residents. With Ability, your facility can improve resident outcomes, optimize reporting data, enhance reimbursements, and much, much more. Discover what Ability has to offer at AbilityNetwork.com slash a pack-in. 